Romans chapter 6. If you didn't bring a Bible today, please grab one from under a seat close by in front of you. Romans chapter 6. If you don't own a Bible, please take that one home with you after the service. Continue studying through the letter here that Paul penned, dictated to the church in Rome, the churches in Rome, to Christians, to believers in Rome. And as we've been discussing and and looking at this amazing letter and all the truths that are in this, Paul's passion, his desire again, was for the gospel of God. He said in chapter one, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of God, for in it is this amazing truth, the good news that comes in it is salvation to anyone who would believe. And we, we talked about that, the importance of understanding, again, good news of God. There, I mean, there's good news, but then there's really good news. There's great news. And there's even good news that we could understand and embrace as a whole, but becomes even better news when we understand it applies to us, right? I mean, we could all agree that it would be great if we heard later on today that there was a, there was a cure for cancer. That would, be a, that would be good news, right? But it would be even greater news if you or a loved one had cancer. I mean, then all of a sudden that news becomes even, even greater because it, it applies directly to you. And it would, be, it, would, it would be kind of a bummer if that news came out and it said, but by the way, the cost of it is a billion dollars and it's not covered by insurance then all of a sudden it's not as good a news anymore. But if it said it was free to anyone who would simply come and receive it, again, great news. And that's what Paul speaks of. And we talk of this as we look through the good news of God, and then he underlines the fact that we all need this. It applies directly to all of us because we have all fallen short of the glory of God. And and we spoke of this again, the wrath of God reserved and displayed against all, all ungodliness, all unrighteousness, and that we all fall into that category. But God demonstrated his own love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And the glorious good news is the free gift of salvation, the forgiveness of our sins, to be justified, to be declared righteous in front of a holy and righteous God is ours simply by receiving it in faith. And we spoke of that and and talked of that, but last week we got into not only the fact that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but we have all inherited a sin nature from our earthly father, Adam. And we spoke of that last week, that again, even though we have received this sin nature through birth, physical birth that way, that comes to us in our new birth in Christ, we are given a new nature that is far greater. And again, Paul says, comparatively, you almost can't compare the two. The the gift that we receive in Christ Jesus is far greater. Now, setting that up, because Paul, as we continue now into chapter 6, where we left off last week, there is no chapter break. Paul wasn't dictating the letter and said, okay, chapter six, and started going. He was, he was dictating this letter as it was being written out. So as we move into chapter six, let's move back a, a few verses. Let's look, start at verse 18 of chapter five. So then, as through one transgression, again, the sin of Adam, there resulted condemnation to all men. Even so, through one act of righteousness, Christ's death on the cross for us, there resulted justification of life to all men. For as through the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, even so, through the obedience of the one, the many will be made righteous. Verse 20, the law came in so that transgression would increase, but 
where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Again, Paul is, this is a continuation as he is moving through, and he just lays out this amazing truth that where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. And this isn't a new message for Paul. He's been delivering this message as he's been traveling around to all of these cities, taking the gospel everywhere he goes. And so he moves right into this question because no doubt he's faced this before. As he has shared this truth in other places, people have come up with the objection or the question that says, okay, well, if that's true, if where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more, why don't I help God look even better by sinning even more? If I sin a whole bunch, then God's going to look even bigger and greater by extending all of that grace to me. Paul says, that's just ridiculous. You can't, it's, 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 it's insane to even think along that type of thinking. And when we really just break it right down to it, isn't it just beyond our, our comprehension to even go there? People do. People still do and, and, and justify their actions that way. But guys, when we think about what our sin cost, when we realize again, though it is a free gift to us, it came at a huge expense, an enormous, an enormous expense to the Father and the Son. God sent his only Son to suffer and die in our place. Yes, it's free to us, but what it cost our Lord, our Savior? How could, how could we logically move along in that argument? How could we, in our own hearts, say that, okay, I can justify that in my actions? Now, it's important as we start to look at this together, when he says, what can we say then? And then he says, may it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? It's important to see what Paul is saying and what he's not saying. When he's saying how who we who have died to sin still live in it, what's being referred to there is the word is to purposely live somewhere, um, even carried with it the idea of taking up permanent residence somewhere. And when applied to sin here, speaking again of that sin nature, that sin life that we had before, the habitual persistence in sin, intentionally, willfully sinning as an established pattern of life, and Paul said, we've died to that. How can we continue to live in that type of life? He is not saying that as Christians, we will never sin again. He's not saying that once you become born again, you will never sin again. And I don't know about you, but I, I, I say, well, okay, I'm, I'm glad to hear that. I'm glad to understand that because if that were the case, I'm in trouble already today. It's not that we won't sin again. I've heard it said in one of my favorite quotes, Adrian Rogers, it says, when you're a born-again believer, it doesn't mean you won't sin anymore. It means you won't sin and enjoy it anymore. You won't be able to continually move in that pattern anymore. The Bible tells us, we're going to get to it in Romans, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But please understand this, as Christians, there is conviction. When we sin as Christians, the Holy Spirit in us brings about that conviction in our lives. And as born-again believers, the, the, as we move through that, repentance follows. 
Sin, yes, but repenting and turning back to the Lord. Paul is not speaking of that sin that we have. He's speaking of that sin nature that we had, that old life that we had. And he's saying, how can we who have died to that, died, not dying, it's not a process of dying, it's, it's death, dead, past action. How who we have died to that still live in it? And bottom line, the answer to that is we can't. Death brings the end to a life of something. We can't continue to live in it. That old creature is dead. John picks this up in 1 John chapter 3. He says, no one who is born of God, note, practices sin because his, sin ab- because his seed abides in him. The Holy Spirit in us, God in us. And he cannot sin. It's, it's, he can't go back to that life anymore. He can't do that because he is born of God. We will see as we, as we navigate through this, this section today in the first 11 verses of chapter 6, death is referred to 11 times. Either the word died, to die, death, dead, crucified, 14 times in 11 verses. Speaking of that death to that old nature. However, life is referred to nine times. Life, alive, lived, raised from the dead, resurrection. The correlation between the two. And he moves on from here as after asking this question. And when I, I have to confess, when I read it first, the first few times when I read it, I'm hearing Paul almost saying sarcastically the next question that he asks. But as I read it more, it's almost to me, I, I, I hear a, a, a level of concern in his voice or uh, an idea of, guys, do you really not understand what is all ours in this, in this glorious life, this new life that's ours? Because he follows that question, how shall we who died to sin still live in it? And then he says, or do you not know? Don't you understand this? That all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death. So that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in the newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. That whole question that he asks in the beginning, are we to continue in sin that grace may increase? He says, guys, your focus is all wrong if that is in your head. Your focus is on that. Our focus needs to be on the magnificent grace of God. We've already spoken of the justification being declared righteous positionally in, in, in this free gift that comes to us by faith. But Paul now, is he's in chapters 6, 7, and 8, and I would encourage you all to add this to your, your daily Bible study regimen or Bible reading at least a couple of times a week, if not every day over the next several weeks, read chapter six, seven, and eight of Romans. It'll take you, it'll take you a good 10 minutes, 15 minutes to do that. But we're going to be looking at sanctification. Justification declared righteous positionally. Sanctification is the working out of that righteousness practically in our lives. 
And we see here as he starts out in this, it's understanding how this all works. He uses a term in verses three and four three times, and that is baptized, to be baptized. The Greek word there is baptizo, and it means to immerse something or to completely overwhelm something. And uh, I, I saw an illustration this week that I really liked as far as to describing the process or what baptizo does. It was from 200 BC, a pickle recipe that was found. And it speaks of the two words that are used that are very close, very similar, but have very different meanings when we look at it. It's bapto and baptizo. And the Greek word bapto is used when you take the cucumber and you dip it into the hot water. But to baptizo it, you baptizo it in the vinegar solution. What happens when you stick a vinegar, the, the cucumber into the vinegar solution when you, in the pickling process? It becomes a pickle. It's no longer a cucumber. It is completely changed and trans. You take that out and you set it on the counter for a couple of days and you come back. Do you have a cucumber again? No, you still have a pickle. <laughs> completely transformed, completely overwhelmed in the vinegar solution. And that is what, what is referred to in us when we are baptized into Christ Jesus. We are totally encompassed by him. We are totally unified with Christ. We have been made one with him in his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And that's why when we speak of being baptized physically as born-again believers, that is what we're saying. We're, we're acknowledging something that has already taken place in us. It does not happen at baptism. Baptism, as we've talked about, is not, is not part of our salvation. It's not, it is simply a declaration of what has already taken place. It's our, the pickling process that's already taken place in us. That we fully identify ourselves with the death, burial, resurrection, and new life that we have in Jesus. If you have not been baptized as an adult believer in the Lord Jesus, I encourage you to sign up to do that because that is what it is. It's a declaration to the world. As we, baptism going under the water and coming back out of the water, the death, identifying ourselves with the death and burial of the old man, the old nature, and coming out again, the resurrection in the new nature, the new life as a new creature in Christ, again, fully identifying with him. Paul says it this way, if in the likeness, verse 5, if, in the, if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, notice he says, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. If we identify with the death and burial, the absolute necessity following that is, again, the resurrection in the new life. He says this in Galatians 2.20. I like this as far as, again, kind of bringing this all together. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. And it's through this process, death, burial, resurrection, new life, it's no longer I who live. That man is dead. I'm a new creation now, and Christ lives in me. And this life that I live, the life that we live now, we live by faith. We live trusting completely the Lord Jesus Christ. 
That's what this sanctified life means. There was a bumper sticker that was out years ago, and I'm really glad I haven't seen it in a long time. Perhaps you remember seeing it. It said, God is my co-pilot. That is, that is a horrible idea of the sanctified life. God is not your co-pilot. And oh, by the way, you're not his co-pilot. He does not want you in the cockpit. <laughs> he wants you in the back of the plane serving the other passengers. That's where we belong. And that's what this is all about, this life that we have now. We, we turn over control. That old man, that, that old life, I, that's dead. Dead. Not on life support. Dead. In this new life now. And he says this in verse, in verse 4. So that we too might walk in the newness of life. Newness. <laughs> Speaking of what sanctification is, it's walking in the newness of life. The quality or character, it's new. It didn't exist before. We are a new creation in Christ with a new heart, a new spirit, a new song, and oh, by the way, a new name. New. The newness of life. Greek word that's used there, there's three Greek words for life. The first is suke, that means the breath of life, to be alive. That's not the word that's used here. There's another Greek word, bios. That means the course or the sum total of all life. That is not what's used here. The Greek word that's used here is zoe, Z-O-E. And it means the absolute fullness of life. Jesus said, I came that they might have life, zoe, and have it abundantly. That is God's desire for us that we would have absolute fullness of life, that we would have abundant life. But as our creator, he knows what that life entails, what that life has in it. We looked at this verse last week, and, and speaking of sanctification, this walking in the newness of life, how we go about it. We looked at this verse last week. Let's look at it again real quickly together again this morning. 2 Peter chapter 1 Peter wrote, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life, zoe, and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. His divine power has granted. So when we are born again believers, when that, that death to the old life happens and a, a, the new life begins, we are given at that moment everything that we need for this fullness, absolute, abundant life. It's already been given to us. When we are born again, we are born again complete. Just like when we were born physically, we were born complete. Again, I, it, it, it amazes me every time sometimes I look in the mirror and I say, you know, everything I'm seeing in there I had when I, got, I was born. It's just grown. Some of it I've lost. But, but my hands, these are the same hands I was born with, the same feet I was born with, they've just grown. And in our, own, in our physical life, we move through that and, and we grow and we mature. And we can see that same parallel when in our spiritual life, being born again. When we are born again, we are born again complete. 
But the interesting thing about that, when we look at this and we speak of our spiritual life, I don't know how many of you can identify with this, but we can say, okay, I've come to grips. I grasp the fact that I am saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. I got that. Justified. God's job. God did it. I receive it in faith. Sanctification, that's my job. That's up to me to now take the ball and run from here. You might not say that out loud, but your life practically, do you ever find yourself with that or maybe having that attitude? Well, guys, it's just like our physical life. Growing when we're from, from a baby, how much effort did you put into growing as a baby? Say, you know what, this week I'm going to put on four pounds and grow an inch. So when I go back to the doctor, he gives me a gold star. I'm going to do that this week. We didn't do that. Now, that's kind of a loaded question because in our growth physically, we do, there are things that we can do to stunt our growth, and there are things that we can do to enhance our growth. But bottom line is we simply need to utilize and exercise what has already been given to us, what we already have. It's not like something, again, that we generate in and of ourselves. When when you're in, I hope none of you can say that I remember this when I was a child because we probably need to arrange some, some sessions for you to talk to somebody about it if you do. But back as an infant, and you're going through that, that process of, of figuring things out, and all of a sudden you're like, wow, okay, that's cool, and okay, I can do that, and all right, so we're figuring out. And then all of a sudden you're thinking, you know, I, every time I'm hungry, my mom gives me that bottle, but she's not around and I'm hungry. So if only I could use this to get that. And through trial and error and knocking the bottle off a few times, finally, okay, I got it. I figured, I figured this out. And, and utilizing what's already been given. You didn't, you didn't do the muscle and the memory and all that stuff. That wasn't your, but to utilize that. And then to exercise as we grow. Guys, it's the same thing with our spiritual growth. We are born again complete, but then we then utilize those things as we understand them and we grow in that and we exercise through reading God's word and, and through prayer and through, through worship. But we have to understand this and we have to start here that, guys, we are born again complete. Colossians chapter 2 says this, in him we have been made complete, in him. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30 but by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Paul is saying here, Jesus is our wisdom, our righteousness, our sanctification, and our redemption. He is in us. It's not us working it out. It's him in us. Oswald Chambers if you don't, uh, it's, we have it in the bookstore. It's, a, it's an amazing uh, daily devotional, my utmost for his highest. This week, actually, speaking on sanctification, he said, sanctification means nothing less than the holiness of Jesus becoming mine and being exhibited in my life. It's not my holiness. It's his holiness in me. We, we saw this in, in 2 Peter chapter 1, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything. That word divine power, dunamis. His divine power. 
Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 3, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power, dunamis, his divine power, that works within us. Not my power worked out. His power working within me. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Bottom line, guys, it is not about imitation. It's not about reading the Gospels and seeing that this is the way Jesus lived and now I go imitate that. It is about impartation. It is about seeing this is Jesus and he lives in me. His holiness in me. His life in me. Colossians chapter 1, Paul said, that is this great mystery. Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's not about our ability to produce holiness in, you know, slowly and steadily in our lives. Guys, it is his holiness in us. Now, again, there are... <laughs> We do have a role to play in it. We, we have to, we don't just, just kick back and coast in this. Notice he says, to walk in the newness of life. Walking requires action on our part. But just like, again, as a baby, taking your first steps, you did nothing to develop the muscles and the, the, all of the, the growth in your, in your body to be able to get to the point where you could take steps. But then to take the steps, it, it involved a, a process, not a complicated one, but a process. You remember what the process is, right? Just, I, I'm going to date myself a little bit here. This last week, I celebrated the 30th anniversary of my 20th birthday. And so I'm going to date myself a little bit with this. Because, and when I asked last night, it was funny because all of the teenagers that were sitting over there had no idea what I was talking about. But does anybody remember the, the old Christmas show, Santa Claus is Coming to Town? Remember that it wasn't, it wasn't a cartoon, but it was some kind of an animated thing. And it was funny because I started thinking about that when I was thinking about walking, you know, and walking in the newness of life. And the song from the movie jumped into my head. And so I Googled it and I pulled it up to, to, to watch it. And I almost had the media team put it up because it was almost like this little mini sermon in the middle of, of, the, of this movie. As I, I doubt that was an intentional on their part. But Chris Kringle, he's going through the, 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 the forest area and the trees grab a hold of him. And Winter Warlock comes out, right? And he says, hang on just a second. I have a present for you. I have a gift for you. And he goes, you have a gift for me? And when Warlock, Winter Warlock, gets the, the gift and he receives the gift, his heart changes. And he says, my heart, my icy heart has melted. <laughs> and again, our heart changes. We have a new heart when we receive the gift. And then when he goes, and he said, he goes, what's the matter? And he goes, well, I'm just so wicked. I'm just so evil. And it's so hard to be, go from bad to good. And the, Chris Kringle says, it's not hard. It's just like learning how to walk. You remember how to learn how to walk. And does anybody else remember the song? Put one foot in front of the other. Okay, yeah, well, 
Soon you'll be walking across the floor. Put one foot in front of the other and soon you'll be walking out the door. Everything has been given to us, but we simply, in faith, walk it out. In faith, just like that child taking the, letting go of the coffee table for the first time and taking that step. In faith, trusting. And the steps, one foot in front of the other and just keep repeating. Two-step process. Sanctification as we walk this out. Two-step process. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 20 but you did not learn Christ in this way if indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, step one, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, step two which is in the likeness of God and has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Putting on the old self, putting on the new self. Guys, we couldn't do that before. That was impossible for us in our old sin nature. That was impossible for us before being born again, before that old man dying, being raised again in Christ Jesus. That was impossible. Now, not only is it possible, guys, we have that sin no longer has power over us. It no longer has the power. Look at verse 6. Knowing this, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with. That means rendered powerless. Our old sin nature no longer has power over us so that we would no longer be slaves to sin for he who has died is freed from sin. No longer has power over us. Before it, guys, we were powerless and again, please hear, Paul is not saying that, he doesn't st- that we don't still wrestle with sin, that we, still don't, that we still don't succumb to it, and we still don't have a problem with that. When we get to chapter 7, Paul's going to talk about it very candidly. But it does mean that we are no longer under the power of that old sin nature. We are the ones who have the power of Christ in us now. The one who conquered death alive in us. We can walk in the newness of life before we could not. Verse 8, let's, let's continue. He takes this again, continuing with this same theme. Verse 8, now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Again, if we've died with him, if that has taken place in your life, the next part comes immediately after we live with him knowing that Christ Jesus having been raised from the dead is never to die again death no longer is master over him for the death that he died he died to sin once for all but the life that he lives he lives to God and now he's saying because now he is in you verse 11 even so consider yourselves to be dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus If we died with him, we will also live with him. That death that he died, the death that he died, our death that he took on himself, willingly. 
It tells us in Philippians, Paul says that he didn't, he didn't count equality with God something to be grasped, that he, he is God. It wasn't something that he was trying to grab a hold of and hang on to. He is God, but he emptied himself. He humbled himself, becoming one of us living the perfect sinless life that we are all required to live but don't, he did. And then at the end, takes our sin upon himself and goes to the cross. That death that he died on our behalf, he died once for all. Because of that, Hebrews 10, 14, for by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. The death that he died once for all, the life that he lives, he lives to God. He is in us. We talked about the, the what of sanctification, the how of sanctification. I want to talk for a moment the why. Because if you're here today and you've never, you've never given your life to Jesus, you've never trusted in him alone, you've, you are not born again, you might have some thoughts going around in your head about this whole Christian life. And I know some Christians, some truly born-again believers still wrestle with what this fullness of life is and all of this stuff because when they think of the Christian life and you think of this and you think, well, it's, it's so impersonal. God is just some distant God. It's so impersonal. It's so impractical and, it, and it's impossible to do. So why bother? Well, Paul addressed that again in the book of Philippians in six words. To me, to live is Christ. To me, to live is Christ. When we embrace that truth and understand what that means, to me, to me, there is never, it's not possible to have a more personal relationship than the relationship that is yours in Jesus Christ. It's not possible. It's easy for us to think of the sacrifice that Jesus made on our behalf as just lumping all of the sin of the world into one big backpack that Jesus carried to the cross, but that's not it. He went to the cross. He suffered and died for every individual sin that you committed or will commit. In a way that we won't ever be able to fully comprehend, he did that for you personally. And the relationship that we have with Jesus has to be a personal one on our end, too. Yes, it's personal on his, but it has to be ours personally, too. You can't be saved. You can't come into this saving relationship with Jesus because of your parents or because of your grandparents or even because you attend this church. That does nothing for you. It is a personal relationship with Jesus that you have to submit your life to, surrender your life to. It can't get more personal. And when we do... As Paul said, it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. It's, it's mind-blowing to me. I mean, yet yeah, one thing, that, that he is my king, that he's my redeemer, that he's my savior. But guys, in the word, he calls us his friends. Jesus God Almighty, all-powerful King of the universe, friends. It doesn't get more personal. And it doesn't get more practical. Guys, when we, again, I already said, he, doesn't, he takes control. He wants to, he wants to be in that, the, the, on the throne of your heart. He wants to be involved in everything that goes on in your life. 
He wants to be there to be a part of every decision that you make. He knows what's best. He knows what's ahead. He's, he's the beginning and the end. He's not bound by time and limitations that we are. He knows what next week holds. He knows what next year holds. And so he says, would you just talk to me? He wants to be involved in every decision. He wants to be involved in every thought. The Bible says that we should take every thought captive and surrender it to him. Every breath that we take, everything that we move through in our lives. Guys, it doesn't get more practical, this Christian life. The bottom line, it is impossible. It's impossible in ourselves to try to do this thing ourselves. It's impossible. If we try to do it ourselves, we're just going to be frustrated. We're going to be aggravated. But though it's impossible, it is him possible. Through him, guys, this is, this, and this is the point to, gather, to get from today, him in us. His holiness, his life in us. He said, apart from me, you can only do so much. Okay. A few of you are awake. He said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. But as Paul points out to us again in Philippians, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now that is one of the most misused verses in all of the Bible. It is not a name it and claim it verse. It doesn't mean that, okay, if it, because Christ is in me, I can go out, I can, I can do whatever. It's, that's not it at all. As a matter of fact, reading it in context, Paul is saying, I've learned how to get by with everything and I've learned how to get by with nothing because in Christ I can do all things who strengthens me. It does mean that we can move forward and we can walk out in faith because Christ is in me and I can follow in faith and I can step out in faith. But if things don't go the way I think they ought to go, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can deal with failure. I can deal with things that change direction on me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Doesn't mean that I have an interview tomorrow and I'm going to get that interview. I'm going to get that job because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What it means is when that job goes to somebody else, I can continue on because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Because he's in me. This walk that we walk doesn't mean that, there, <laughs> that it's just a, a straight path and there's no bumps in it and there's a, there's a park bench every, every 15 feet to sit down when I want it. We're going to have tribulation. We're going to have difficulties, but we can get through all things because he is in us. Guys, it doesn't get more practical. It doesn't get more personal. That's the life that we walk in. Just one last thought as we close in this. Again, so often we can, we can look at the life that he lived while he was here. The Gospels record that for us. And we see in that the fellowship that Jesus had with the Father in his prayer and in his, in his life, as he, the fellowship that he had. He said, as he prayed out loud so others could hear, Father, I know that you always hear me. 
And he said to his disciples, I do nothing other than what the Father desires. I always do the things that please him. Is that your desire? That God would always hear you? That that you would always do the things that please him? Well, guys, again, it's not about imitating him. That's, that's the beauty of what this whole thing is. It is him in us. It's infinite. He's, this is infinitely more than an example for us. Sanctification is him in us. His life in us. Christ in us, the hope of glory. We have a prayer of Jesus recorded for us in John chapter 17 where he said, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, speaking of the disciples that were there in the room, but for those also who will believe in me through their word. Guys, that's you and me. Jesus praying for us back then that they would all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. Guys, it's not a life like his. It's his life in us. That's what sanctification is. Lastly, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, the Beatitudes, that blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. That word blessed that is used there, it goes beyond happy. It goes to happy, happy, happy. Goes to joy unspeakable. For those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for a life that is holy, for a life that is filled with godliness. Peter, in the verse that we looked at earlier, tells us that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. Christ in us, the hope of glory. We can walk in the fullness of life. We can walk in that power, knowing again Jesus in us, his life in us. Paul has a prayer recorded in Colossians chapter 1. I want to read it here, but then I'd like to pray it together says, for this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. If you're here today and you've never, never taken that step to give your life to Jesus, you are not born again, Everything that we've talked about today is available to you right now. But you have to come to a point where you are willing to die to that old self. Willing to identify completely, totally, to be 
baptized, to be pickled in this life with Jesus, fully identifying. Again, that means I am going to put to death that old man so that I can have this new life. It's a free gift available to you, but you have to receive it. You have to accept it on his terms, on his conditions, and that's by faith, fully trusting, giving your life completely to him because he gave his life completely for you. He paid for it all. When I invite you to do that in just a moment, but for the rest of us, my prayer for all of us, me standing at the front of the line, <laughs> is that we would embrace this truth, Christ in us, that we would stop striving and just surrender. Allow him to have this life lived through us, that he would love through us, that he would live through us. Let's pray. Would you please stand? If that is you, and again, you have never taken that step, but you know the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart right now, it is a matter of responding in your heart. This, again, is the most personal exchange that you will ever have. You go before your creator, almighty God, and you say, God, I am a sinner. I realize that I have sinned against you and in my thoughts and what I've said and what I've done in ways that are far beyond my ability to even count. And I'm sorry. And I come to you now and I ask that you would forgive me of my sin. That you would put to death that old man, that old nature, and Lord, give me this new life. I don't understand all of this completely, but I embrace it. Jesus, I believe you died for me. I believe you took my place. I believe you took my penalty. So I ask you to come into my life right now. You take control. Lord Jesus, we, as believers, as born-again believers here today, we... We are amazed again, not only at, at what you did for us to, so that we stand justified before you, we stand righteous before you because of what you did for us, clothed in your righteousness, but Lord, also understanding this truth, truth even deeper, that you are in us, your life in us. And Lord, our prayer this morning is that we would be filled with the knowledge of your will that we would walk in a manner worthy of this amazing gift, that we would please you in all respects, that we would bear fruit in the work that we do for you, Lord, that every day we would increase in our knowledge of you, strengthened with your power, Lord, that we would joyously give thanks for everything that we have in you, because you have qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light, Jesus. It is all because of you. We thank you and we praise you for this glorious truth. In Jesus' name, amen.